Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio, 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sands. And here in the studio with me today, I have Marcus Jacobs with Margie's Grill. How are you doing today, Chef? Thank I'm you. I'm doing well, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you came in. And uh, I kind of giggled when I walked into the station this morning because as I was walking in, Different members of the team here went, oh, you got to ask him this. You got to <laughs> ask him this. So uh, I may ask you, you don't have to give away all of your secrets, but we're happy to take any of those secrets you want to pass along. Oh, yeah. We're an open book for sure. <laughs> well, so Marcus, whenever I um, I asked uh, to get you scheduled, it's mainly because I love Margie's and it's kind of the secret place or not so secret place that... Those of us in the food world and people who were true connoisseurs could find. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, other people are finding them. But it's a it's it's a double edge, right? Yeah, it's yeah. great. So tell tell me how did like where did you come from? Like out of nowhere, somebody <laughs> said, You need to go to this place called Margie's. <laughs> well, uh I, I moved to New Orleans in two thousand nine. And I started working uh, at Herb St. Restaurant pretty much right away uh, under Donald Lake and Ryan Pruitt and then uh, Rebecca Wilkham. And then, uh, I mean, I was there for seven and a half, eight years, something like that. And during that time, uh, I met my partner, Caitlin Carney, who started in the front of the house there. And we just hit it off pretty quickly, uh, pretty much centered around our mutual love of food, which extended to... Thai food and Vietnamese food and uh, you know, we would just start cooking together uh, and then we started hosting these dinner parties where we would do that's a dinner party is a generous term for what it was. We'd have people over and we'd do uh, you know, just our take on some southern staples using all regional ingredients but seasoning them with these Thai, Vietnamese, Lao flavors that we like so much. I love cooking barbecue, so most of the time we'd just be outside uh, on a grill or a smoker just doing our thing, and we started to get really into this idea of this cuisine could be something cool that we have to offer, uh, so we did some pop-ups around town over the course of a couple years uh, and just kind of fine-tuned it a little bit and then opened Margie's in December 2016. Wow. So that was kind of a journey. Yeah. It was the abbreviated version. <laughs> well, you know, I... So many times I'll I'll hear people say, oh, well, it's not traditional Southern or this Mm -hmm. place or that place is not traditional. And I think that in New Orleans and Louisiana, we're starting to see changes in our food. And Mm -hmm. uh, I talked to Chef Sue about this last week and, you know, that we have our old school love and then we have this new and exciting flavor. But the, the flavors of Vietnam and Laos and that's not too far of a stretch if you're looking at the the climate, the immigrants, yeah, the everything. It, it's not really at all. And, you know, I think that having spent some time traveling to Southeast Asia and spent a lot of time here uh, and all over Louisiana, not just New Orleans, you see so many similarities in culture, you know, which food is such a huge part of that. You have very similar attitudes that people have of being relaxed and having you know, open mind to what they're eating. And then everyone likes these big flavors. You know, you see a lot of garlic, a lot of spices, a lot of chili, and everything's centered around fresh produce. It's the same in Southern food as it is in 
the food of Vietnam, of Thailand, of the region there, where it's just like whatever's coming out of the garden that season, you're going to cook that and you're just going to season it to make it the best that you can because you want to enjoy eating it. And I love that. And if you think about it, the stuff that they're planting there is growing well here because our climate, the humidity, the you know, Delta region, all that, it does seem to have a great parallel. For sure, yeah, definitely. I mean, you'll see things like, you know, okra on the menu at a lot of restaurants in Vietnam in a soup or whatever and curry. Uh, you know, that's a dish, a, a ingredient that came from Africa up through the American South and then back over, you know, to Southeast Asia. And same with, like, chili peppers. That's a Central American ingredient that we, I mean, can you think of like Vietnamese food or Thai food without spicy chilies? Like that's such a inherent part of their food waste. And, you know, when you said big, bold flavors, and I think here in South Louisiana, we love big, bold flavors. Mm -hmm. And we also tend to go, I think, I feel like we go towards heavier food sometimes because we're looking for that big, bold flavor. And Classically, maybe that big, bold flavor is in a spicy stew based or something like that. One of the things I like about Southeast Asian cuisine is that you can get big, you can get bold, but it it still feels light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, one part of that is you don't see a lot of dairy in the cooking over there, which can certainly like make things a little heavier. You know, you're not going to have stuff that's stewed down in butter or anything like that. And, you know, you have just different ways of developing flavor, which is kind of what got me into cooking this food in the first place, because I was trained in America to be a chef. And, you know, it's French and Spanish and everything's kind of like done in that European way. And then when you start really getting into the cuisines of these other countries, you see that it's like painting with a different set of colors. Like there's this whole other technique that you can use to develop flavor that's different from ours. And I think that makes it lighter in a lot of ways. Instead of having to sit over a pot and stew something down for hours and hours and hours, you know, the the backbone of a proper curry paste is to just take chilies, garlic, eggplant, whatever, vegetables, shallots, roast them over an open fire, peel those and mash them up. And that's how you build the backbone of your, of your dish. You know, it's similar to how we would make a roux here. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, so many dishes start with these same several ingredients that are prepared roughly the same way, but it generally happens over a much shorter amount of time. And it's generally just a bunch of fresh vegetables, that, you know, including garlic and chilies and things like that. And, you know, it's a lot about layering those flavors mm-hmm. and making sure that that there's balance. And I, I feel like we have that in our, our cuisine here and, you know, making sure that your onions are Brown in your mm-hmm. jambalaya, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm from brown jambalaya country, <laughs> <laughs> not that red jambalaya country. No, no, r- real but, jambalaya. <laughs> but also, you know, making sure that roux is toasted. You can't fast forward those steps. And I would imagine when it comes to making these chili pastes and curry pastes, there's no way to, f- like, if you fast forward it, you're not getting the same outcome. Oh, for sure, for sure, you know. And I think one thing that we talk about as far as, like, backbones of developing flavor in these Southeast Asian cuisines in relation to European cuisines is that like you take something like fish sauce, which is ubiquitous, which is fermented water left over from anchovies and salt. That is what seasons so much of that of that food. 
And it's, yeah, you go, you pour it out of a bottle. It takes two seconds. But that fish sauce has been aging for one or two years before it's gotten to that point. And it's almost this thing of like, when you think about making a very technical French sauce, you might, it might take you two or three days to get, you know, your, your velouté nice and silky and to get everything, uh, you know, to make your little raft for your consomme and get everything, you know, clear that way. And I think that fish sauce lends some of that same level of like, it's going to take time to develop this flavor. It just, it's already happened a while ago and now we can just add it to the dish. Well, I always, uh, pick on people who like, I love fish sauce mm. and I actually made a curry this week and I gave it to my neighbors because I didn't have fish sauce in my house. And I'm like, how is there no fish sauce in my house? And I tried wish to share, not quite the same thing, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, you know, I pick on people who say, oh, I don't, I don't eat fish sauce, but they pour a half a bottle of wish to share on sure. their steak before it goes on yeah. the grill. And I'm like, you might want to check the <laughs> ingredients of that. But you know, with these these sauces and that that sweet and sour and spicy, how do you figure out how to balance it so that one of those flavors is not just like crazy strong? It's just like cooking anything, like just taste, you know, you taste as you go. And it's, I think that sometimes the downfall when people say, I don't like fish sauce, it's because maybe you had a dish that's like super heavy on fish sauce and it's, and it's overpowering, you know? And some dishes like should be more fish sauce forward or more garlic forward or more chili forward. And then that goes into the realm of being an acquired taste. But yeah, just taste everything all the time and adjust it. And then once you start to get used to those flavors, then it's just like seasoning any other dish. Well, you sound like you're pretty well traveled and you've you've tasted a lot of things. Are there things that you've tasted that you're like, yeah, I don't need to taste that ever again? <laughs> I have a list of two things. Okay. That I do not eat. Oh, please tell me. One is grapefruit because I think it's disgusting. Uh, I, I can support. <laughs> I can support. I am not a fan of grapefruit unless it's mixed in with something else. Fair enough. And the other is natto, which is uh, Japanese fermented soybean, um, okay. which is something that is found all over Japan. It's a breakfast staple, like. I I would wager to say that 70 to 90% of the population eats natto for breakfast every morning all over the country. And it's got this kind of like slimy texture and you usually mix it with a raw egg and serve it over rice. And the flavor has been described to me as tasting like blue cheese, but I like blue cheese. And that it does to me is not what cheese. that tastes like. <laughs> and I, I, like, I spent some time traveling in Japan and I was staying in like people's houses and doing some farm work there. And everybody, because we're out in the country, everybody eats the stuff for breakfast every day. And I finally got one of the younger people in one of these houses to tell me, I was like, do you really like this stuff? And I said, yeah, well, you know, it's just tradition. I'm like, yeah, but do you, like, enjoy the flavor of it? <laughs> and I said, no, not really. I knew it. <laughs> that's, so that's really funny. Yeah. I just went on a trip with a group, and uh, they made us fill out a form, like, what are you allergic to? But, you know, in this day and age, sometimes you're in quotes, allergic mm -hmm. to grapefruit, right? Right, right, right. Um, and so I said, there are two things that I'm allergic to. And one, I try, I'm not really allergic, y'all, <laughs> but um, I try and try to love it. I eat it at every single opportunity it is presented to me because one day maybe my palate will change. I can't love beets and I want to love beets. <laughs> the beet people think I'm insane, right? 
But I feel like some people who don't like cilantro and think it mm-hmm. tastes like soap, I feel like the beets taste like the dirt, right? That they're grown in. Earthy, I believe, yes, is the word they want you to use. Dirty, that, yeah. right? <laughs> and the second thing is sea cucumber. Okay. Yeah. And I, I don't think I ever need to eat another one of those. So, so I don't s- put that on the menu at Margie's. <laughs> I spent three weeks processing sea, sea cucumbers. Oh my goodness! Uh, it's a, it's enough to make you not want to eat it even more. I yeah, I, I was at the, I was in China uh-huh. and I was at this dinner and it was chefs and cookbook writers and food people, and my husband said it was the equivalent of if we had a bunch of people from out of the country who said they were food people come to New Orleans and were like, <laughs> we're going to give them the alligator. We're going <laughs> to give them the the Nutria. We're going to yeah. give them all the stuff that, that maybe is not really a staple and just see if they eat it. Because <laughs> th- that's how we felt yeah. with the big, like, lazy Susan of oddities. Mm-hmm. And the, the sea cucumber was on a plate and you would see that all the people at the table and we'd go to one person go hmm and they're like uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> and then you'd turn it nobody would like eat a second bite of it <laughs> yeah for sure that's an interesting one texturally it's a little hard sometimes yes yeah. and and i think that's what as as americans we are not as open to some of the textural changes as other cultures. I, I agree. And I think specifically with Asian cuisines, texture is such a huge part of a dish. And for us, it's like it's either got to be like tender or crispy. And yes. we don't really like anything that is not that. Uh, yes. Gelatinous mm-hmm. things, not mm-hmm. so much. And I find that there are uh, maybe preferences that we have where Certain tender and crunchy things should not be together. Uh Like, you know, if you're having a fruit salad and you have beautiful fresh peaches and plums and stone fruit and then they throw a hard apple in. Right, right, right. um, You'll get people that are like, Mm -hmm. "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. And um, but particularly gelatinous things. Mm -hmm. There's a, a texture in Chinese cooking that I enjoy a lot that's really hard to translate, which is like sticky, crunchy, tender. Okay, and uh, that it, sounds good. Like it would be like a room temperature boiled pig ear, or like, okay, so it's know? a little chewy, a yeah. little yeah, it's like snappy a little bit, you know. And we we try to put that on the menu sometimes, and it's usually not very popular. Well, another thing that I notice is that there are different schools of thought on spicy food and hot weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you go to India or you go to you know places in Southeast Asia. And people will say, oh, well, we like spicy food. It makes you sweat and it mm-hmm. cools you off. Um, and maybe that's why sometimes I like a good hot gumbo in the middle sure. of the summer because it's going to, the heat of the hot you know, soup is going to make me sweat. What's your theory on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it definitely works. There's these cultures all over the world, like you're saying, that, that, that do that, to eat those foods, including us here. I mean, you go to Jazz Fest on a second weekend and there's people standing you know, in the, in the sun, down in gumbo and on all this stuff, you know, I think a, a big part of spice for a lot of these particularly Asian and Indian included cuisines is a way to stretch a meal, you know, and I think that you would probably find the roots of that to be true in Southern cooking as well, where it's like you have your main starch, be it rice or corn in the form of grits or whatever, you know, bread and, and parts of India, and that's the cheap filling part of the meal that you can put a lot of on the table 
and then you season everything else heavily with spice so that it, it satiates. You're basically just like tamping down the spice with your main starch. Oh, see, you know, I never thought of it that way. That makes perfect sense. Well, it's like what well, the reason that we serve these stews with rice here, the reason that like sticky rice is such a huge part of a northern Thai meal is because that's what's going to fill you up and that's what's going to get you through the day, through the day, into the next day, all that, you know, uh, and no one wants to just eat a big wad of unseasoned rice. So you have these very highly seasoned components that go into it, you know, like if, to go back to the similarities between regional cuisines is like if you go to a house in, I would imagine, most parts of rural Louisiana, it's not a meal unless there's a bowl of rice on a table. Yeah, I need some. I need you a know? starch. Yeah. And that's the same thing. I mean, like. All over Asian countries, it's rice is the centerpiece, and everything else just flavors the rice. You know, the, in um, Japan, the word for rice, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, is uh, go, or the word for rice is gohan. It's also the same word for food. It's also the same word for, like, being full. You know, the name breakfast is called asa gohan, which means morning rice. So, you know, there's, like, those starches are so intertwined with these cuisines, and I think that the spice is there to just make it more interesting to eat. I like that. See, I've learned something today. Go. Thank you. <laughs> so my listeners out there were talking to Marcus Jacobs of Margie's Grill. And I'm looking in front of me of the menu at Margie's. And there are certain staples that when I walk in the door, I'm like, I'm if this is available today, mm-hmm. I'm getting it. Like, I absolutely love the chili butter jumbo shrimp. Yep. Um, absolutely love it. And I feel... Um, you're going to be mad then. Not, oh, no, you're digging it off. It's already off. Oh, that's no. That's an old menu. And that's my, <laughs> I love that. Um, but I know that, you know, I, I got in an argument with someone uh, yesterday who was from L.A. who said, we don't like our food to look at us. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, no, I like my food to look at me. And I want I want to, you know, suck the head or yeah. eat the head of the crawfish and the shrimp. Um, but here in the studio, the guys said that there's something that is only sometimes on the menu at Margie's and they want to get a phone call heads up when it's on the menu. And that's the beef cheeks. I don't even know anything about that dish. What is it? It's great. And, uh, if Tim Bordis is listening out there and he can start selling me beef cheeks again, uh, that'd be great. But no, we, you know, we deal so much with small producers, uh, because, for a number of reasons, you know, we believe in the quality of the product that we get, and we believe in supporting our community. Those beef cheeks were coming off these uh, Louisiana Wagyu cows. It's a herd of cattle on the North Shore uh, that is just exemplary. I mean, like, the, the genetics is Wagyu, but they're not, like, massaging them with beer or any of that stuff. Uh, really great beef, which we do feature some of their cuts on uh, on the menu regularly. But the cheeks are just, like, it's almost like brisket on steroids like it's fatty tender we slow cook it a big um custom barbecue pit outside so we slow cook it for anywhere from eight to ten hours um until it's just like you could stick a spoon in it and and serve it like that oh yum um it's come off the menu because there is a restaurant in florida that is willing to pay more money for these Uh, you know that happens (laughs) that happens but you all have some cool stuff coming up on the menu now um Mm. because we're you know at the tail end of crawfish season so you got to replace the crawfish with something. What are yeah. y'all doing? Well, so we do every Thursday during crawfish season, we do a big boil uh, where it's – people refer to it as Viet Cajun style, but I think that's like almost a term that's being overused these days. But what we do is we boil it first in traditional Louisiana uh, crawfish boil to which we add things like fish sauce and ginger and soy and 
more chilies. Uh, and then when you get an order in, we toss it with our chili garlic butter, which is the same from the shrimp you were talking about, which is made from lemongrass, uh, shallot, garlic, butter, and this um, crab paste that we get that's like fermented crab paste. Uh, and it's delicious, very spicy. So that's what we do with our crawfish. Next week or the week after is probably the last week for that. Yeah. Uh, but what we do after that is we do something really cool, which is uh, chili butter fried hard crabs. Ooh. Which is like my favorite thing that we do throughout the year. I mean, if it's fried, I'm in. Yeah. So it's, you know, <laughs> the first thing we tell people when they order them is like, these are not soft shell crabs. You know, like don't eat the shell. You could, but it's maybe not going to be the most pleasant. So we get really nice, fat, live, late crabs. I go out usually to West We Go or wherever to buy some. Um, we dress them, and then we um, coat them in an heirloom corn flour that we get from Belgard Bakery, uh, fry those, and then toss them with the chili butter and a bunch of herbs and lime. Ooh. So it's kind of this, like, uh, picking and eating experience. And the, the crabs are always great. I mean, we always start with the best product we can get. You know, so it's kind of hard to mess it up at that point. But if you're into picking crabs, then these are great thing to eat because as you're eating, you get the little bits of the fried stuff all over your Ooh. fingers and it has the chili butter on it. It's They're delicious. I love it. And I, I always tell people, eat with your hands. That's yeah. how you connect with your food. For sure. And uh, the, the thought, I love to pick a crab. Some mm -hmm. people think it's too much work, but I feel like the investment and the time and the energy is well worth I it. I am right there with you. When I hear people say it's too much work, I'm like, yeah, but at the end of it, you're eating a bunch of crab meat. So, like, you know, yeah. driving yeah. a car is a lot of work, but if you go somewhere fun, that's lovely. And you're not paying $26 a pound <laughs> uh, for the, yeah, the jumbo exactly. lump. You're, you're working for, exactly. for your food. Well, you know, I know we have a lot of vegetarians out there, and we've talked a lot about, you know, seafood and beef and things like that. But I do love that on the menu, uh, you know, you have things that are innovative and interesting with vegetables, um, like just even just the, the charred broccoli mm -hmm. and things like that. So talk about like what people can get that kind of round out that whole meal for them. Yeah. So, I mean, we believe in serving a balanced meal at the restaurant. So everything is like, is kind of a la carte. So you can make your own plates and it's really meant for sharing. Um, and vegetables are a huge part of a balanced meal. I think, I think that's was on like a Mr. T poster hanging up in my room <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, but, uh, you know, going back to getting the best product we get, we go to the market three or four times a week to the Crescent City Farmer's Market and uh, just get whatever the nicest stuff we can get. And so over the last few years, we've developed really great relationships with a lot of these producers to where they know the quality that we're looking for. They know what we're looking for and we'll have stuff set aside for us, you know, and that's, you know, I love eating great vegetables. And I, if, you know, the people who say, I don't like beets and I don't like Brussels sprouts and I don't like this or that, like, I like to try to change those people's well, minds. And I encourage, <laughs> you know? I, I want to like it all. Yeah. So I'm not afraid to try. I, 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 my thing in a lot of times, and you have been trying, so I give you credit for that, is that, you know, when people say, I don't like this piece of produce, it's because they've maybe only had it out of a can or out of season or whatever. But, you know, we have this tomato dish that's on the menu right now that's just really nice Creole tomatoes from Poche Family Farms uh, that are served slice with a little bit of olive oil, cane vinegar, sea yeah. salt, some herbs. It's delicious. It's not something that you would think of as, oh, this is Asian or this is this, this is that. It's just good food on a plate. Um, and it's us taking the best product that we can get and just presenting it to people. You know, That's a big part of what we do. We just try to curate that experience. So if we're coming in for lunch or dinner, what do we have to try? Uh, the 
Our number one bestseller dish is the honey butter yardbird, which is a, uh, we sell it either by the quarter or the half of a uh, slow grilled chicken. So we cook that on a barbecue pit and we uh, glaze it with honey and some sweet cream butter and some uh, Tabasco mash and some garlic, you know, so it's got this really nice kind of charred glazy exterior. It's smoky and flavorful. These chickens are from a friend of ours on the North Shore who produces for us. And they're like the juiciest, most delicious chicken that you can get. I definitely recommend anybody's first time to coming at that because it's like even if you look on the menu and you see pig feet and pigtails and this and that or beets or whatever, then, you know, you're going to want to eat a grilled chicken. And if you take a bite of that chicken, you're going to be like, okay, maybe these guys can actually cook food and then you'll get everything else. But I always recommend that. I'm I'm gonna try that next time. The person who I had dined with last time got it, but she didn't share. That's rude. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to try That's it. That's rude. Um, what are you What are you using as your your hardwoods that you're using that in your smoker? We get a mix of stuff. It's mostly oak um, with a little. Uh, we use red and white oak uh, with a little pecan mixed in. Kind of just what's available for us. You know, we work with a guy who um, has a landscaping type company, and he also Cuts down and ages wood for us. Fun. Yeah. Well, so I wish we had more time because we could probably sit here and talk about food all day. I, I'm already learning a lot, so we're going to have to bring you back on the show. But will you tell our listeners where they can find you, when you're open, all that good stuff? Totally, yeah. Margie's Grill is at 320 South Broad, so we're uh, in between Banks and Palmyra, kind of close to the uh, Ideal Market. And I got a shout-out, Jazz Auto Glass next door. Um, and we're open lunch and dinner Monday through Friday from 11 to, uh, two for lunch and then from four to 10 for dinner and then dinner only on Saturdays. And you'll have a courtyard when the weather's nice. We have a really nice patio out back that we put fans on and we're really like, uh, encouraging people to dine out there when they can. It's, it's beautiful. We have a nice uh, big oak tree shading it and have got a lot of plants around the side of it. It's a really nice place to dine. And I can vouch for that because I've had the opportunity to attend a few events out there and there's nothing better than, I, I think last time we were eating crabs, picking crabs, <laughs> licking our fingers, but there was that smell lingering from the barbecue yeah. and the, uh, so you kind of feel like you're in somebody's house or backyard. It's a really special place, you know, and we get a lot of people saying like, oh, I never would have thought this was here driving down broad. And we kind of like that idea that it feels like you're just stepping through a little portal into somewhere else. And the restaurant is this big, long kind of shotgun style building. So you go all the way to the end and you walk around the corner past the kitchen and then you're just outside in this kind of quiet, secluded patio. Well, I love it. And for my listeners out there, y'all need to get out to Margie's Grill and go see uh, Marcus Jacobs over there and the team. Uh, order the honey, honey butter yard bird, honey butter yard bird uh-huh. and try those new crabs on the menu. You've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. Until next time, ciao.